Um, the reading today is from John chapter 4, one, uh, verse 1 to 26, which can be found on page 1066 on the church Bibles. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He, to he told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know, we worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Thank you, Catherine. I'm Matthew. I have the privilege of being the youth pastor here, and I have the pleasure of saying that I'm going to be preaching with Sam, who's one of our older teenagers. The problem with water is that you always end up thirsty again. The satisfaction doesn't last. It's not that big a problem for us. Uh, I imagine you've all noticed that we live in a fairly moist country. It's fairly damp and wet, and it's not that warm. And also, we have modern plumbing. We have pipes and taps, and we can easily get water. In fact, you can even buy slightly tastier water from a shop if you want a vigilate to start your talk with. But the story we've just heard 
comes from a time and a place where that just isn't true. It comes from a much hotter part of the world and before modern plumbing. For a lot of people, it's true for today in a lot of places in the world, but it's particularly true back then that the best way for them to get water is to back-breaking work to dig a well and then to by hand haul up a jar full of water from it. The amount of sweat that had to get, you had to produce in order to actually get some water to drink doesn't bear thinking about. But it's not a problem for us. We can easily satisfy our constant need for liquid. But we need to keep on satisfying it. Jesus talks about living water in this passage, and I don't think that he's just talking about actual water. I'm pretty sure he's talking about something much more than that. There's so many parts of our society and so many problems that we know in our society that we can understand as a need to be satisfied and that that the satisfaction doesn't last. Satisfaction from sex, alcohol, gambling, food doesn't last. Satisfaction from social media likes and retweets doesn't last. Satisfaction from compliments and being human gratification doesn't last. Satisfaction from acquiring money doesn't last. Is there a source of satisfaction that does? Jesus talks about a living water that not only means you'll never be thirsty again, but also provides eternal life, an eternally satisfied life. That's what he talks about. And he does more than merely talk about this water that can provide eternally satisfying life. He offers it. And I still haven't got to the exciting bit. Because he doesn't just talk about and offer an eternally satisfying life. The exciting bit is who he offers it to. Sam's going to help come up and help us start thinking about that. Brilliant. Thank you, Matthew. Now, have you ever been in a situation where a conversation starts with someone you really didn't want to talk to? I mean, I can think of a few examples, but one that really sticks in my mind, my mind was the start of 2020 when Southampton beat Tottenham 1-0. Um, as a Spurs fan living in Southampton, it was a nightmare situation for me, having to lug myself into school the next day. I spent the whole day dreading the next time I'd have to face a Saints fan um, and have the scoreline rubbed in my face again. Thankfully, that's only um, a rare occurrence. Um, <laughs> if we look at verse 7 in the passage, we can see a situation for the Samaritan woman where she would like anything else but to speak to Jesus. It says, When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? She replied, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Now, for some context, the Jews and the Samaritans did not get on at all. Despite living near each other, and ultimately both um, stemming from the Israelites, 
Most historians would say that they hated each other. This is ultimately down to Samaritans marrying with non-Jews and not keeping the law. Jesus actually uses the premise of the Jews disliking the Samaritan neighbours in the parable of the Good Samaritan, which can be found in Luke 10. Jesus uses a Samaritan to demonstrate how unconditional his Jewish audience's love should be for anyone. This probably at the time got a reaction like, yeah, I love others, but love the Samaritans? Really? Those guys? So Jesus talking to a Samaritan was unusual, but it goes further. He was talking to a Samaritan woman. We learnt later in verse 27 of the passage that Jesus' disciples were surprised that he was talking to a woman. During the times Jesus was alive, women weren't treated equally to men. In a Roman society, it was expected that the family was male-centred and for a wife to be loyal to her husband. So the last thing that the woman would expect, or quite frankly want, would be to have a conversation with the sleepy Jewish man by the well. But Jesus initiates the conversation with, will you give me a drink? With the woman responding in almost disbelief that this man is talking to her. Now, I don't know about you, but I'd be feeling very afraid in the woman's shoes. I think we can see, through the, uh, I think we can see this through the number of questions in the passage that she asks. Um, after this, Jesus responds with, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Hang on. Has Jesus just asked the woman to give him a drink and then responded by telling her that she should have asked him for water instead? Well, sort of. The woman interprets this in the literal sense, going, Sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Essentially, she's going, What? How on earth are you meant to get the water when I'm the one drawing the water from the well? This living water must be from some other source. However, I think that we can see that Jesus doesn't mean water in the literal sense, but is using living water as a metaphor, which he continues to use through the passage. He says, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Wow, that's some claim by Jesus. He's comparing the finite water that this Samaritan woman is tolling to get hold of to his living water. This is a beautiful image showing some amazing and eternal welling up, sort of to the point of overflowing. We can actually see that the woman is hooked after this. She's really interested. She says, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. I love how these verses are written by John. I think it's really clear to see the growing sense of trust that the woman feels to Jesus and the change from fear of the strange Jewish man to the hope of this living water that he offers her. But Jesus' metaphor of living water is still not being understood, is it? The woman clearly wants this alternative to her water. She knows Jesus offering something amazing to her, something that will replace her mortal need for water, but she just can't quite put a finger on it. John 7, verses 37 to 39 Jesus says, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Jesus says that anyone who is thirsty can drink the water. And John tells us that this is talking about the Holy Spirit available to those who believe in Jesus. The Holy Spirit isn't exclusive to those who are rich, to those who obey the law, or are born into the right families, 
by offering the water to a Samaritan woman, Jesus breaks away from the idea that God is just the Jews and said, offers it to someone who the Jews would never associate themselves with. And he offers it to us too. Okay, so that's amazing, right? The woman has been offered eternal life in the Holy Spirit. I mean, great, does that mean we're done? We're all sorted? No, not exactly. If we look at the next three verses, Jesus tells her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Her heart must crash. I mean, through the conversation leading up to this, it must have been so good for the woman to speak to someone who didn't look down on her, somebody who didn't disregard her, somebody who she felt safe with. But Jesus asked the one thing that she doesn't want to answer. Now, the society at the time would have seen the woman's multiple husbands and current unmarried partner as lawfully and morally wrong, with Hebrews 13 verse 4 saying, Marriage should be honoured by all and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. It's really clear to see that she doesn't want to respond where she thinks she's lied to Jesus by telling him she doesn't have a husband. But Jesus sees through this and shows to the woman he knows what's happening in her life. Now for me, I think that's a little bit like me getting back from college, like I do most weekdays, and my mum asking how my day was. And I turn around and go, I've had a bad day, mum. And she says, I know you've had a bad day today. In fact, you had to run for the bus, you forgot your lunch, and your laptop battery died before midday. It's a bit weird, isn't it? Somebody knowing all the fine details of your life? In the same way, Jesus could tell the woman the exact details of her life. It's likely that nobody would have known about all of these husbands and relationships, so this would have shocked her that Jesus knew. Obviously, instead of a bad day, Jesus is showing that he knows the sinful nature of her life. In fact, Jesus knows all the wrong things that the woman tries to conceal, not just these specific examples. And in this moment, the woman would have known that nothing is hidden from the man and that he knows all of her wrongdoing. In the same way, I think we can be like the woman. We try to hide our sin and run away from God, but it's useless. It's like trying to run away from your shadow. Psalm 69 verse 5 says, God, you know what I have done wrong. I cannot hide my guilt from you. We may well be able to conceal our sin from friends and family, but not from God. Jeremiah 2 verse 13 says, My people have committed two sins. One, they have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns, that cannot hold water. The woman has turned to sex and relationships in her life to try and find satisfaction. Like Matthew was saying at the start, with his earthly water, Thirst is quenched temporarily, but it will never last forever, and it will never truly satisfy. Jeremiah says that by turning away and forsaking God and trying to fill that void with sin, the water of life that Jesus offers cannot be held within us. We can't be filled with this abundant source of life while our souls are like broken cisterns. Water leaks out from us until we're empty again. But notice, Jesus still offers the woman, who he knows is a sinner, eternal life, and the Holy Spirit. Isn't that amazing? So, this living water can be offered to even a Samaritan woman that a Jewish man shouldn't be seen with. It can be offered to a sinner. And now this sinful Samaritan woman is convinced that she isn't just talking to some crazy tired man taking a nap by the well. 
but she's talking to a prophet. She's talking to someone sent from God with a message and with knowledge beyond explanation. So basically, she asks an apparently unrelated question. I wonder what question you would have asked if you'd met someone who you'd come to be convinced was a prophet from God who seems to know details about your life. He had no earthly way of knowing. What would you ask? Would it be something about your life or something big about the whole world? Would it be something about God? The woman asks a curious question. She doesn't phrase it as a question. She's just a statement. She says, my ancestors have worshipped on this mountain for generations, but you Jews say we ought to worship in the temple in Jerusalem. I'm pretty sure it's a question with layers. The most obvious in first layer is she's asking, who's right? Are my ancestors right? Are my people right? Am I right about how I worship God? Or are you lot right? Do we actually need to go to Jerusalem? Do we need to go on that trek and go into that big city? But there's a deeper layer where actually her question is, how should I worship? Because that's what the Jews and the Samaritans have been arguing about for generations. How should we worship? They actually both kind of seem to think they're worshipping the same God. They're just each going about it wrong. Imagine people falling out about how they should worship. It would never happen. But that's what they're arguing about. And she asks, how should I worship? I think is the core of her question. She's realised this man is an amazing being. And she wants to know how to worship. Jesus replies in verses 23... Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipper the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. At the core of her question, how should I worship, is where should I worship? And Jesus says, almost, well Jesus does say, That's the wrong question now. Times have changed, he says. Now is the time to worship in spirit and in truth. Unfortunately, in this passage, he doesn't really give us any detail about what what that means. But as we look at the rest of his teaching and the rest of the Bible, what he means by worshiping in spirit and truth becomes clearer. Worshiping in spirit and truth is not just going to a place of worship, whether that be a temple or a mountain or indeed an auditorium in Southampton, and then worshipping God there and that being the end of your worship. It's not about going to where God's presence is because Jesus has come and times have changed and now worship is about having God in you and worshipping God in your life. Jesus pushes past her doubts about how to worship, her questions, and goes, now look at it deeper. Worship in spirit and in truth. 
Her response is fairly reminiscent of a lot of what Jesus does because she then says something that seems completely irrelevant. She says, I know that when the Messiah comes, he will explain everything. And Jesus says, I'm the Messiah. Now, surely if she thinks the Messiah is going to explain everything and Jesus is saying he's the Messiah, the next thing she should do is have a whole list of questions. That's the logical next part of the story. But that's not what she does. Because suddenly she's excited. Because she thinks this is the Messiah. He's claimed, she's convinced he's a prophet and now he says he's the Messiah. He's the promised one. He's the anointed one. He's the one that the Jews and the Samaritans have been waiting for. And so she goes to her friends that she's probably avoided because they all think she's sinful. She goes and she tells them about Jesus. And she starts worshipping in spirit and in truth by just telling everyone that she's met someone who told her everything she'd ever done. And they came and they listened as well. Jesus reaches out to someone he really shouldn't, culturally. A rival culture, a rival people, and a woman, and he's a man, and he should not be seen talking to a woman. That's, this could end his preaching career if it goes wrong. But he does it anyway. He reaches out. And if he reaches out to her, I'm pretty sure he'd reach out to me. And I'm pretty sure he'd reach out to everyone here. Because if you're worried about who you are, whether you're acceptable to God because of your background or anything like that, no, no. She, she's who he shouldn't have reached out to and did anyway, to the extent that he's going to reach out to you as well. And it almost seems like he just doesn't care about that stuff. He doesn't care about the rivalry between the Jews and the Samaritans. He doesn't care about the fact that culturally he shouldn't talk to a woman. He doesn't care about that. He reaches out to her anyway. She's also sinful. And he definitely does care about that. But he cares about that so much he deals with it. And still reaches out to her. He reaches out to a sinner. And so if you're worried that God, you can't come to God because you're a sinner, well, Jesus reached out to this sinner. And she has questions and doubts. And he reaches through those and shows her a deeper truth. And after he's done that, she still seems to have questions. But then he says that he's the Messiah and suddenly those questions don't matter to her. So you can re even if you're worried about your doubts and your questions, Jesus will still reach out to you and you can still reach to Jesus. So if this living water, this eternal life of satisfaction, if this ability to worship in spirit and in truth is available to us, what do we have to do about it? Actually, the answer to that was ages ago. The answer to that was in verse 10. In verse 10, Jesus said, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. If you had asked, you would have been given it. 
He hasn't even talked to her about her sin yet. And he said she could have had it if she'd just asked. All we have to do is ask. It's available to everyone. All we have to do is ask. I'm going to end by reading a passage from Isaiah. It's an invitation from God to those who are thirsty. This is Isaiah 55. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labour on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love promised to David. See, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a ruler and a commander of the peoples. Surely you will summon nations you know not. And nations you do not know will come running to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendor. If you're thirsty, come and ask.